You're listening to the Dangerous Prayer Sermon Series at Sojourn East. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Today's scripture is from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Happy New Year, church. My name is Chad Lewis. I'm a pastor here. And a few months ago, I signed up for this January 5th uh, sermon, thinking it was an open week. And so I could use my good New Year joke. So here it goes. This will probably be the best sermon most of you've heard all year. Thank you and good night. See ya. Somebody reminded me at the first service. They said, well, that would have worked well in the 80s and 90s, but people listen to podcasts all the time, so they probably already heard several sermons. So I was like, okay, burst my bubble. All right. I have to think of a new joke for next year. But I thought it was an open week. A lot of times we start out the the year, which is an open sermon. But then a few weeks ago, I was talking to Kevin, and he reminded me we're doing a dangerous prayer series. And I went, oh, what is January the 5th? And he said, break us. This is my unfiltered reaction. I was like, ooh, don't like that prayer. Don't like that prayer. And so I sat and reflected about that a little bit. It's like, why didn't I like that prayer? Why don't I have a good first reaction? The first thing that comes into my mind when I think about that prayer is... The 15-year-old guy in my youth group who surrendered to the ministry, kind of sold pot on the side, but no one knew about that, but he surrendered to the ministry, and he would pray prayers like this in youth group. It's like, Lord, break me, make me into this and that, but then he'd kind of look up, see if the girls were paying attention, because he was using it to impress them, and it's like, oh, that left a sour taste in my mouth. And then I also thought about the instant trigger of having a bad view of God for many years growing up in a fundamentalist Baptist church is that God being distant and God being cruel and and cold, that he would take a prayer like that and be like, okay, yeah, I'll break you. Here you go. Boom. 
And it didn't take long for me to start reflecting on the truth, remembering that's not who God is at all. And that I remember periods and times in my life with tears in my eyes, with a fullness of heart, praying, Lord, break me, remove the hindrances in my life that are bogging me down, that are keeping me from seeking your face, that are keeping me trapped in this inward spiral. I remember many other people being together with them where they'd had a vision of God being so beautiful and loving and so good that they would pray, Lord, break us so that you can use us. And so as we think about this prayer today, break us, I want to take it under the context of brokenness. What's the prelude to brokenness? And I want to go ahead and say there are many times in our lives where we'll go through seasons of a deepening brokenness, where we will go through valleys and God is doing a work, but they are, they are more than difficult sometimes. So there's a prelude to brokenness, and then I want to look at the purpose of brokenness, and then finally look at the end, the beauty in brokenness. So here's the prelude to brokenness. I, I take it from verses 8 and 9. Just to read it again, Paul writes, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead we'll hit that in part in just a little bit but what was this prelude to Paul's brokenness we know even as his conversion on the Damascus road Jesus appears that's an entryway into brokenness for him because of his blind eyes, because Jesus saying, I'll show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. But there's something interesting about this episode of brokenness in Paul's life. And as we were preaching through Acts a couple years ago, we speculated, could it have been this scene or this time? And we, we simply don't know. We do know that Paul was no stranger to danger and no stranger to suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, he's putting out a resume and he says, this is foolish, I should do this, but I'm going to do this just to kind of rebuke the false teachers that have snuck into Corinth. He says, with far great labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. And then he starts listing out things that had happened to him. He said, five times he received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. And so he'd received that on his back five different times over his ministry. Three different times he'd been beaten with rods on his back. One time, a crowd tried to kill him by stoning him to death, and they actually thought he was dead, but he got up, walked, and went back to the city. There are other circumstances. Three times he's shipwrecked, a day at night at sea. He's in frequent dangers on his journeys, danger from robbers, danger from robbers. I said that twice, didn't I? Danger from rivers, danger from his own people, so the people that knew him, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, left out in cold and exposure, seemingly freezing to death. Apart from all these things, the daily pressure and the anxiety of his care for the churches. And that list doesn't even include what's going to come in the next chapter where he talks about the thorn in his flesh, this horrid thing that he pleaded with Jesus three times to take away. But Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is perfected in weakness. And so he's no stranger to suffering, no stranger to these dangerous things taking place in his life. But this partic particular episode that he shares with the Corinthian church 
It seems to have a deeper tenor to it. Think about this. He says, under great pressure. And I think about the circumstances, prelude to this season of brokenness in Paul's life, thinking of that it's, it's physical, it's emotional, it's psychological, it's spiritual. It's all these things wrapped in one. The demonic forces are, are coming in as well. Under great pressure, and what's the result of that? Far beyond our ability to endure. And when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, that mug was a spiritual marathoner. He could endure. Think about what it must have taken for him to say, I am being crushed. This is far beyond my ability to endure. And then we think about the emotional aspect of this. He said he despaired of life itself. There's a despair there. And it also says they felt they'd received the sentence of death. And the imagery I have as I read that is just the, the valley of the shadow of death, that he's walking through it, and he is being crushed in the midst of it. And this is the prelude to brokenness. In all our lives, we're going to go through seasons where we will be broken down. And there are many paths we can take as a result of those seasons, but they are circumstantial in nature. They sometimes trigger sometimes events that take place that are life-altering. Sometimes they are physical, sometimes they're emotional, spiritual, psychological, sometimes it's all wrapped up in one. Sometimes it's because of what other people have done towards you, sometimes it's because of the own, our own decisions that we make. But no matter what it is, it comes and it is powerful. And we may find ourselves in the same position with Paul, to say, I'm under so much great pressure, I cannot endure this. It's far beyond my ability to endure I'm despairing of life itself, and I feel like I'm surrounded with death. And that's a very, very tough place to be. We can skip over that pretty quickly and just go, okay, now what's the good news? But let's sit with that, because that is the reality of so many of our lives. Each of us will touch suffering, and suffering will touch us at some point in life. And this isn't isolated to Paul's experience. It's all throughout the scriptures, it's all throughout earthly experience. We see it through humanity every day. A couple quick examples from the Old Testament. King David, he's anointed king. It seems like things are going to go well, but then Saul, King Saul, is going to go and try to kill him over and over again. And that leads David on some wild adventures. And that brokenness leads David to cling to God, to look to him, to, to just embrace the things God has for him, and it's beautiful. But some years later, King David... He's king, he's, the other kings are going off to war, he stays home, we don't know if it's boredom, emptiness, lust, whatever it may be, he's looking across, he sees another man's wife, she's beautiful, he sins for her, commits adultery, she becomes pregnant, he tries to cover up that sin by committing a grievous sin of murdering her husband or setting up a plot to have him murdered, big deal. And then he's going and going until the prophet Nathan comes and confronts him. And then, boom, brokenness because of his own choices. In Psalm 51, 17, he says this. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Broken and contrite spirit, he will not despise. 
And knowing God's heart, looking throughout all the scriptures, knowing what God delights in, he delights in us bringing our broken hearts before him. He says, come on, come. So David's, that, that verse was birthed out of his own choices and brokenness coming from that. But we see a lot throughout the scriptures that the choices of others cause people's brokenness. And people who are following God with their whole heart. We see that with the prophet Jeremiah. He's in a land that's gone crazy. People are following false gods. The prophets and the, the priests are just going out for selfish gain. They're just doing their own thing. And this is what he writes. And th- hear this guttural language concerning the prophets. My heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. And the word of the Lord in that context is that he said, I'm going to send in a foreign land to take you away into captivity so you'll seek my face. And Jeremiah's been pleading with the prophets, pleading with the priests, pleading with the people, turn to God, turn to God, and they won't listen. And you would think, like, this dude's following God with his whole heart. What's the effect of the people's sin? It says it, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man. He's broken because of the actions of others. And so no matter what the prelude to brokenness is for each of us or what cycle we're in, whether it's the first time or the 20th time in your life, we remember that these preludes will come and play. And I just have a couple quick applications before we get to the purpose of brokenness. The first one is when you're going through this introduction into a season of brokenness or being broken down, First thing I have is just a, a sailor's tattoo. They, a lot of sailors on their knuckles used to get four letters on one, four letters on the other. Y'all remember what it is? Participatory question. It's hold fast. Hold fast. Some of y'all can go this afternoon and get that. Hold fast. You can get an anchor too. Pretty cool. But the meaning is just when the storms come as you're sailing on the ship, You hunker down, you brave the storm. You can't make the storm go away, but you hold fast and you survive through it the best you can. I like to read survival books sometimes in my downtime. And if you're a psychologist, you can tell me what that means about me. But I have a couple illustrations. Uh, I don't even remember where I picked them up. But the, the first one is if you're in the water, whether you're surfing or you're in a boat that capsizes, Maybe you get hit on the head and you're, you're disoriented and you're, you're underwater and you don't know which way is up, which way is down, and life and death are depending on it. You can actually blow out some air bubbles and then follow them to the surface because they'll rise, right? And then, opposite of that, if you're in an avalanche in the snow and you get knocked down, you're buried in snow and you don't know which way to dig because you're disoriented, you can spit a little bit and then go the opposite way gravity takes the spit. So y'all can send me letters when you survive because of those little two pieces of information. Hopefully you won't have to go through that. But just like in the physical world, we have ways that we can move towards making it in tough situations. It's, It's like that in the spiritual world too. And I think one of the biggest air bubbles God gives us when we're disoriented, when we're drowning, is the church. It is relationships. We don't go it alone. As I was going through a season of grief some years ago, a pastoral counselor said, Chad, you've, you've got to ride the waves of grief. Go with them. Don't run away from them. 
Don't try to comfort and cope some other way. You have, to, you have to embrace the process of grieving. And then he said something profound in addition to that. He says, Chad, you have relationships and resources you didn't have years ago when you went through other seasons of grief. And th- that really stuck with me. Relationships and resources. These bubbles that can help me get to the surface when the waves do knock us down. And we see in the Apostle Paul's life, he doesn't go it alone. He doesn't go on missionary journeys alone. He always has at least one other person with him. He's reaching out to the Corinthian church, letting them know his suffering. He says in verse 11, he says, this is to the Corinthian church. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He's saying, church, you got to help us. Pray, pray. Go with us on this. And that's what we're doing in the year of prayer. We have the prayer room upstairs behind this room. And on the wall are so many prayer requests. We have prayer requests that have been answered, but so many that are still in the process of being worked in some way in God's sovereignty and his goodness. And we continue to pray, but we help each other through prayer. We help each other through relationships. We don't go it alone. So we think about the prelude to suffering. We think about holding fast. Let's look at the purpose of suffering, the purpose of brokenness. And what I want to think about as we get to the purpose, I want to think about some of the hindrances to us being able to choose the wise way or the path that God has us in the midst of brokenness. I think in the context of 2 Corinthians we're seeing that Paul's defending his apostleship because false teachers have come in. So he's, he's, he's saying like, yes, I am chosen of Christ. These words you can believe. Believe these words because the false teachers come in and say, Paul's, he doesn't got it going on. His words are weak. He's not, a, he's not really an apostle. And so it could have been a seed in the people's minds like it is a seed in our mind. When we see someone go through intense suffering or they go through profound seasons of brokenness that we look and we just go... I don't know if that person's really chosen of God. I don't know. Would God let them suffer that much? And thankfully, we have the scriptures. I mean, we got Joe, we got the song, we got the whole scriptures. We got Paul's life, Jesus. But that can be a seed, and that can be a hindrance to us embracing. And the, the reality is that brokenness does not disqualify you from a life of ministry. We're a Baptist church. We believe in the priesthood of believers. We believe that every member is a, is a minister. You're a minister of the gospel. And brokenness doesn't disqualify you. And I'll take it a step further. I would say brokenness is actually a prerequisite to ministry. And we see it in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? Why does that lead to a flourishing life? Because in their poverty of spirit, they see their need. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just the entrance into the kingdom that we realize our poverty of spirit. It's every day of every life. We are poor in spirit. But that is where we meet God. And as we look through all the Beatitudes, it's it's this picture of of an openness, a brokenness, doorways to grace to say, I need God. I don't depend on myself for any of this stuff. Just like Jesus said, he says in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So come with me, abide with me. Another challenge, I think, is, is a hindrance to us choosing wisely in times of brokenness is that 
we can get jacked up views of God, and, and we have bad views of God, all of us, that need to continue to be corrected. And a lot of times we can look at the suffering or the brokenness. We could look at Paul's life and just go like, God must be cruel. God's distant. Where's God? And we look at Paul. What did Paul say in the midst of all these great sufferings? He says in verse 3 that God is the father of compassion. God is the father of compassion. And then he says, the God of all comfort. And those two phrases have captured my imagination this past week. Thinking about the father of compassion. All compassion flows from our God. When we were looking in Matthew, I remember Kevin a few, few weeks ago preaching on, on Jesus. Jesus' first movement is a movement of compassion. His heart breaks for his people and he moves toward them. Everything that is good and beautiful, true, it flows from our creator, God, who is good and beautiful and true. And all compassion flows from him. And we remember he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Apostle John in Revelation 1-4 reminds us in his greeting, he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is, was, and is to come. Who is, who was, and is to come. And it's the same thing in Revelation 4 with the living creatures. There they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's holy, he's set apart, he's glorious. Who was, and is, and is to come. And as our God is outside of time, created time, he's in time with us. He sees all things. He sees our past, our present, our future. And he holds us in the midst of these times of brokenness, knowing what they will produce and offering us help in the midst of them. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, brokenness produces something. And what I want to think about is, how long does this production take place? And when we think about, in biblical terms, we think about when the Bible talks about something being produced, it usually uses agricultural terms. It's going to use it all, all throughout the scriptures. And a lot of times as Americans, industrial revolution and all these things, we, we like to use manufacturing terms. And so I looked up how long does it take to manufacture a car. And from 1997 to 2007, the average amount of time it took to put a car together from the beginning of assembly line to the end was about 30 labor hours. And I think that's pretty amazing because it takes me 30 hours to change my brakes and oil. Um, because I have to go back to the parts store three different times because they gave me the wrong thing. Well, let's be honest, I asked for the wrong thing, so it all comes back to that. But thinking about our lives, and we think about, okay, we can get so much done so quickly. All right, I want to be a person of character. Give me two weeks, I got it. It doesn't work like that. I want to be a person who is trusted with great responsibility, all right, give me a month plan, and I want to do that. It doesn't work like that. It's a long obedience to the same direction. The agricultural way that the, the scriptures teach, one of the pictures is that God would make, make us oaks of righteousness. And when we see an oak, when it grows, often it takes 20, 30 years before they even start producing acorns. And sometimes it takes up to 50 years for them to produce them, uh, I was going to say rhythmically, but consistently. I'll say that better. And that's a picture of the Christian life. 
And in some ways, that, that can be really encouraging when you say, I've walked this long and I feel like I've only grown this much. It's like, yeah, keep going. God is doing a work beneath the surface that's deeper than you understand. All the roots grow deeper when it's dry. And in some ways, it seems like it's very discouraging when we say, man, I've been doing this for a year or two or longer, and it seems like I haven't grown at all. And we want to say, continue on, continue on. This takes time. So what are we to do? What's the purpose? Well, there are many purposes and many uses in the Redeemer's hand to make us more like Christ. And, and this, is, this is one of them is, is brokenness. But we see in verse 6, the first thing I want to point out, Paul writes, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So we're, we're going to talk about being comforted in just a few minutes. But what I want to think about is patient endurance. Patient endurance. The invitation in brokenness, the purpose is to produce this endurance so that we can receive comfort from others and endure through times of suffering. You might say, well, I, I don't really care about patient endurance. Well, let's see what Paul has to say in Romans 5 about endurance. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And what does endurance produce? And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through this Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we think about what brokenness and what the invitation as we pray, Lord, break us. What, what could it be? Well, it could be us learning patient endurance. And as we patiently endure, what's being produced by God is, is character. And then that character where we become our true selves, where we seek to, to know him, and, and it's not a circumstantial thing, but it's like, Lord, I want to be who you've called me to be through the thick and through the thin, through suffering and through joy, through all of these seasons. As we live as people of character, hope is birthed within us. And it's not the type of hope we see so often on refrigerators where it's like, everything's going to work out great. Just hang in there, kitty on a tree, whatever it may be. It's a type of hope that endures. It's like, Lord, whether I live or die, you have me. It's the three walking into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, even if God doesn't deliver us, we won't bow down. Their hope, their eyes, their vision of who God is and what his plan is for now and all eternity was in their bones and marrow that they could step into that and not give in. We want to be a people of endurance, don't we? We want to be a people who are, have character formed in us. We want to be a people of hope. We want to be a people who are filled with love and that overflow of love that Paul talks about will flow forth from us. We have to endure through these times of suffering and brokenness. And then I love this first, uh, this it's second part of verse 9. Paul just kind of puts it, it feels like a matter-of-fact way, but it's, it's, it's huge. He says, but this happened, all these sufferings, this trial that cr just was so crushing, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God 
who raises the dead. These circumstances happen so that we would learn more and more how not to rely on ourselves, not to trust in our own wisdom and understanding, not to trust in our own muscles, but to trust in God's wisdom. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth. He sees all. He knows all. He's working always. And we say, Lord, I want to trust in you. I want to rely on you. I want to partner in you, partner with you in the work that you have. And when we think about the picture, the imagery of the, the valley, the shadow of death, the picture here is the hope of resurrection. What's God's resume? Well, he raises the dead. He created everything with a single word. This is our God, all powerful, almighty, all loving. And before we see the beauty and brokenness, we see our Savior doing this perfectly, our Jesus, where he says in John 5, he's saying, the Son can do nothing of himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And there's that partnership. He's showing us the way that we partner with God in what he has for us. So the application, when suffering comes, when brokenness comes, don't run away. Don't run away. Run to God. Run to safe community. Some circumstances break our hearts, and there are many in this room that have broken hearts. And it, I think it's a mystery sometimes when we see someone's heart, it seems broken and shattered into a thousand pieces. And then with others, we see their hearts broken and then something beautiful grows from that brokenness. And I don't fully understand it, but I, I do believe that we can foster this growth in community by reaching out to each other in help and going through it, not alone. Growth takes time. Let's remember that. So here's finally, beauty and brokenness, beauty and brokenness. Verse three through five, verses three through five. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And the beauty and brokenness is this. As, as we are a community of believers who endure through suffering, as we have people in their 80s and 90s, we have kids back there every week, that we can see the next generation see us suffer and hopefully suffer well, see us in our brokenness, be able to say, hey, I need help, I'm in need, and we reach out to others in need. And we are able, in some beautiful, mysterious way, to comfort others through the comfort that we've received. We can't give something that we haven't received. And so we're, we're a people who seek God's face, we receive comfort from him, and then we're with others who are suffering. We can offer them that same comfort. And I, I think quick application for this is, is stop seeing your brokenness. If you see yourself as broken, stop seeing it as your greatest deficit. I was reminded as I was preaching the first sermon, I was 28 years old. I had a traveling ministry where I played music and spoke and I did carpentry on the side, did all sorts of stuff, moved down to Georgia to marry a girl. Her heart was pulled away 
and I entered the deepest depression I'd ever entered into in my life, and I moved back to North Carolina where I was living at the time. And I remember having these dialogues with God. It was like, God, this is, depression is the worst thing about me. I hate it. It is the worst thing about me. If you would just remove it from me, I'd be okay. And at that time, a friend of mine was just, had a cassette tape of a, of a sermon, and he gave it to me. It was one of these providential moments. And it was a sermon cassette of John Piper doing a biography on the life of Charles Spurgeon, who was the Prince of Preachers in England. And as I listened to it, um, I, I don't even remember the title. It was Persevering uh, Through Suffering. And I, I heard for the first time as I listened to the physical sufferings of, of Charles Spurgeon, he had amazing bouts of gout in his legs. He said it was like snakes were biting him and venom was tracing through his veins, burning. He had major depression many seasons of his life. He said he'd lie on the floor and weep like a baby and not know why. And then he had external emotional pressure and people would attack him from the, the city saying he was a phony and other pastors would say disparaging remarks about him. And I felt the Lord speaking to my heart through that message and through, through those circumstances as Chad this is something I've given you. And instead of seeing it as your greatest weakness, see it as a strength, something that will continually drive you to your knees and reach out to me in dependence. And, and I want to caveat that. I mean, it's a huge subject, depression. I praise God for the mental illness professionals. I am pro-medicine to help with depression and many other mental illnesses, pro-therapy pro-EMDR, pro, I'm pro a lot of stuff. But even in doing those things, there's a lot that remains that you carry, right? There's a lot that can remain. And to see these things quite often that it doesn't make sense in, the, in worldly wisdom, but in the, in, the, in the wisdom of God, he uses the weak to shame the wise. He uses our brokenness to be a doorway for others to receive comfort and compassion and grace. It's a place that quite often we meet him. And for the last 13 years, as I've been on staff at Sojourn, many, many people, broken people, have sought me out. And I reflect on, like, why is that? Why is, like, my friend Pastor James Santos, many broken people seek him out? And I think it's because we've been open and honest with our brokenness. I think it's because... We've received comfort from God and comfort from the community, and people feel safe around us. And there are many, many others in this room that I know it's true for you as well. People seek you out when they're at the bottom level, and they find hope. And what I want to think about here in closing is what is some of the beauty and brokenness is this, is that God gifts us with wounded healers in our midst. There's a, a man named Henry Nowen who wrote a book called Wounded Healer some years ago. He wrote it in the 70s, and he, he said about the, the day and age, he said that the person of the 70s, he saw they were very inward. They were just trapped within themselves. There were people who were fatherless. They weren't receiving blessing or having guidance. And he, he said, finally, the, the people were convulsive, and I think about it like they compulsively lived for whatever was before them. And he said, one of our, and I think it's more true today than it was back in the 70s, as I just look at, 
at people in our midst and in the world. And he said, uh, this was really profound to me. He said, in order to help them, in order to help them know Christ and receive this comfort that, that God has given us, we have to be an articulator of inner events. And so what I want to do is I want to read, it's a lengthier quote to you from this section. And what I want you to do is have patient endurance. If you make it through this quote, you'll have greater character. That character leads to hope, and that hope will see love burst within you. So I'm going to do this. Longest quote I've ever read in 20 years of preaching. But here we go. Ready? I used to be a school teacher, so I said I can get you to do some jumping jacks with me if we need to. But this is from Wounded Healer. As soon as we feel at home in our own house, discover the dark corners as well at the light, as the light. I'm going to start that sentence again. As soon as we feel at home in our own house, discover the dark corners as well as the light spots, the closed doors as well as the drafty rooms. Our confusion will evaporate, our anxiety will diminish, and we will become capable of creative work. The key word here is articulation. The man who can articulate the movements of his inner life, who can give names to his varied experiences, need no longer be a victim of himself, but is able slowly and consistently to remove the obstacles that prevent the spirit from entering. He is able to create space for him whose heart is greater than his, whose eyes see more than his, whose hands can heal more than his. Only he who is able to articulate his own experience can offer himself to others as a source of clarification. In this sense, he is the servant of servants because he is the first to enter the promised but dangerous land. In practicality, all pre priestly functions such as pastoral conversation, preaching, teaching, and liturgy, the minister tries to help people to recognize the work of God in themselves. The Christian leader is not one who reveals God to his people, who gives something he has to those who have nothing, but one who helps those who are searching to discover reality as the source of their existence. To name the place where joy and sorrow touch each other, the place where it is possible to celebrate both life and death, the first task is to lead his people out of the land of confusion into the land of hope. Therefore, he must first have the courage to be an explorer of the new territory in himself and to articulate these discoveries as a service to the inward generation. That, that quote is profound and very, very special to me for many reasons, but I'll just say one. The dark places within us, that God, he's, he's in us. He knows everything about us. To be able to search those places with him, and in many ways with a loving counselor or a friend, and this is one of the reasons we tell our stories over and over again to each other in different seasons of life, to be able to see that God has been at work and to shed light in these places. And the comfort that we give to others is the comfort that we've received in those dark places. And we're able to articulate quite often the experiences that people don't have words for that they don't know why they're suffering in certain ways, why something hits them so hard. And we ask them questions and we can pull those things out. But we do that in community. 
And I think about the result of that. In our last deacon elder meeting, I, I taught on thinking of a vision. We looked at Paul's prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3 and said, what would we be like if these were incarnated in us 10 years from now? What would Sojourn East be like 10 years from now? And as we broke up into our groups, one of our deacons, she said, I just imagine and envision Sojourn being a place that no matter where you are in the city, when someone says, I'm broken and I have to find a church, someone say, go to Sojourn East. That's a place for broken people. Someone's saying, I'm suffering or I need help. Where do I go? Go to Sojourn East. And as she talked about that, my heart was filled with just thinking like, yes, Lord, by your grace, may that be the, the, the place that we are. But how do we get there? We're well on our way, man. What a loving church we have. But there's more. We get there through patient endurance, through character being formed, through hope being birthed, through love overflowing. So we humbly pray, Lord, break us knowing that you're good, knowing that you won't give us more than we can handle and that we will reach out to each other, knowing that we can't go it alone, but we do this together. We go remembering that growth takes time. Remember that as a tenet of our church that we say grace comes first, the gospel's central, and growth takes time. We're patient with each other, and we encourage each other to stay on the path. And we remember Jesus our Savior and King, Creator, Jesus, triune God, came to earth to be broken for you and for me, marched to the cross to take the sins that we deserve the punishment for, and his body was broken for you and for me, and we remember what he's done, what he's doing, and his promise that he's coming back again, and his blood was shed for you, and for me, and the seal of the new covenant that even the prophet Jeremiah talked about. And so this is our reality, that we are God's, and he is ours. He's invited us into his story, and he's saying, my child, I'm with you. If you're a Christian, I invite you to come forward during communion. You can break off a piece of bread, dip it into the juice or wine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, we believe the scriptures teach you not to partake in communion, but we'd love that you're here and we'd invite you to converse with us about your life, about what we believe about Jesus and many other things. And as we come and respond and we think about singing these last two songs, let's remember that God is the God of all comfort. He's the father of compassion and he cares for you. Let's pray. I'm Kevin Jamison, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com east.